Good morning, everyone. Happy New Year. First, I would like to just start off by thanking you all for your generous giving through the love offering to my family and I this year. It has been a blessing, and it's always humbling to receive that, and it's just a joy and an honor to be a minister here and to serve amongst you guys to such a great and loving and caring congregation. The best thing of all is not only are you guys loving and caring of your leaders, but we also uh, we know that's evident that you guys are loving and caring of one another as much as you guys pray for one another, as much as you guys support one another. And so that just makes it a joy and an honor to minister here at Faith Bible Fellowship Church. And so from the bottom of our hearts, from my family to yours, thank you guys greatly for um, your generous gift giving this year. And as we bring in this new year, there's no other better way to bring in the new year than to be on the first day of the year worshiping with your brothers and sisters in the house of the Lord. And so thank you all for joining us this morning. And we will actually be continuing our break from the Gospel of Mark for one more week. We took a break starting about the week before Christmas, had a Christmas service and then took a break the week of Christmas, and we'll continue that break today, and starting next week, we'll be back in the Gospel of Mark, and we'll be making that our final ways through that as we close out the Gospel of Mark, but today, we are going to be in Psalm 62, so please, if you have your Bibles, feel free to turn into Psalm 62 in your Bibles or in your phones, or if you need a Bible, there is a Bible in the seat in front of you. You Feel free to use that. You can turn to page 479. If you are in need of a Bible or don't have one, that is our gift to you. Feel free to take it home or feel free to give it to someone who will use it. But if you would like to, you can use it now. We've all probably spent the most of this week, just like we spent most of this last week of the years, just reminiscing about the past year. And if you're just like anyone else, 2022 has been up and down for you guys. It's For Christians, we've had uh, some wins and we've had some losses. We've seen the overturning of Roe v. Wade. We've seen the Respect for Marriage Act pass, and those have been up and down moments for us as believers. Perhaps on a personal level, you've probably felt the effects of inflation while you're shopping, or you felt the effects of gas prices going up and down, and all that to say that this year has been very up and down. Perhaps you were reminiscing about that as we closed out this previous year, and perhaps you were looking forward to the new year, excited Maybe you're nervous. Sometimes when we look forward and the new year's on upon us, it it can bring a lot of different emotions, some good or some bad. But you probably spent this past week thinking about those things, thinking about the year that's passed or the years that come. Maybe you've made some new year resolutions, you made some plans, you wanted to get healthier. Maybe you're like, I'm gonna spend more time with family this year, I'm gonna spend more time reading. Maybe you have this whole chart of things you are going to do this year, and we all know that, that none of that is guaranteed. We can make as many plans as we want. We can make as many New Year's resolutions as we would like, but none of that is guaranteed. What is guaranteed, what I can't tell you will happen at some point during this New Year, is you will probably come face-to-face with some type of adversity. Things aren't going to go as planned. You're going to make things out and you're going to plan things a certain way and they're not going to happen that way. Life is going to get difficult. You're going to start to feel the pressure of life. And that's the one thing I can tell you that that will happen at some point this year. Maybe it's already happened 
or maybe it'll take a week or a couple of months, but at some point you will face adversity. And so the question going into this new year isn't if it will happen, but when. And furthermore, the better question to ask is how are you going to respond this new year when adversity does come knocking on your door? When things don't go your way, when life is a little bit difficult, when trials creep in, how are you going to respond when life attacks you? And that is why I wanted to spend this morning in Psalm 62, because as we spend walking through that, that is one thing we see in this psalm is David, who pins this psalm, he writes this psalm in the midst of adversity, in the midst of some calamity in his life. He's being attacked, and in the middle of that, he pins this psalm, and he really does give us a blueprint on how to persevere through trying times. And so that is why I wanted to just spend this new day, this new year, first day of the new year, just looking at that and looking at what David tells us to do in the midst of trials. And that gets me to the main idea this morning, which is peace, peace, rest and security in hard times can be found in God, in God alone. Peace, rest and security in hard times can be found in God alone. And let's pray before we get started. Father God, we come before you, the Lord, and we thank you for your mercy and grace, Father. We thank you that we've had another year on this earth through just your grace alone, Father. We were able to get up this morning, have the breath of life, and being able to come here safely, Father, and to worship you and to sing songs of praise and to pray before you, Lord. All that is a blessing from you that we take for granted each and every week, Lord. So we give you thanks and honor for that, Lord. Lord, we pray for those families who aren't with us, who are ill this morning, Father. We pray for a healing over their bodies, Father. We pray that they're able to get back on their feet and they're able to get back to the normal way of life here soon, Father. We pray that you will surround them with love from their family. Lord, we pray that you will surround them with love from their church family, Father. May we reach out and offer a helping hand and may we be praying for one another, Father. Lord, we pray for the children this morning in Children's Church, Father, as they go back and hear your word being taught to them, Father, and hearing the gospel being presented, Father. We pray that this is a time of great fruit and, and growth and the planting of seeds are being done back there, Father, and we pray for those leaders back there, Father. And we pray for those kids, Father. We pray for our time here together, maybe a time of edification, maybe a time of growth, of conviction, Father. And we spend the next several moments diving into your word and learning and gleaning from it, Father. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be edifying to you and to your people. Pray this in your son's mighty and powerful name. Amen. As I already stated, David is the author of this Psalms. And when we see it, you probably see it in your notes there. To the choir master, according to Jethon, a Psalm of David. And so David is the author. We're not, we're not given the time. We don't know when David has written this. The only thing that's clear that David is being attacked. Right, we see that in verses 3 and 4. He is in the face of some great calamity, of, of some adversity. And some scholars would say that David wrote this, this psalm during Absalom's rebellion that we see in Second Chronicles 15. But, but that's not, there's no real evidence in the passage that would say to that, that would corroborate that. It's just some are guessing. We don't need to know when, but it is evident that David is facing great, he is under a great attack. 
And that is where I would like to start in verses 3 and 4 because that really does give us a good backdrop, a good background to what is going on during this psalm. That this is what David is in the midst of his attacks. He chooses to wait and he chooses to write this and encourage people. And so we'll start in verse 3 and 4, go back up to 1 and 2, then kind of just make our way through the whole passage. And we see in verse 3 it starts with, How long will all of you attack a man to batter him? And the first thing I want us to know is this isn't David writing a complaint towards God. Here David is addressing his attackers. He's addressing those who are plotting against him. He's addressing those who want to see his downfall happen. So this isn't a complaint to God. God, why are you allowing this? It's rather it's addressing his attackers. And that's just an important note to make that really throughout this 12 verses, we don't see David complain one time. He doesn't even really, we don't even see David make a petition to God. And that's what makes this psalm so unique from other psalms is usually the psalmists are making a petition. They're praying to God. They're asking God, deliver me from this. Not at any point in this psalm, in the midst of this, is David asking for that. He's not making a request. He's not complaining. He simply starts to state truths. And so it's evident, like I said, he is being attacked and he's been attacked for a while now. That's what is being the picture being painted of how long will you attack? He's not asking his attackers, when are you going to be done? Rather, it's an expression here that's letting us know that these attacks have been going on for a long time. They've been going on for a while and they don't seem to be stopping. And as David has continued to come down and grow weaker, the attacks seem to intensify here. We see this in verse, the end of verse 3 where it says, Like a leaning wall, a tottering fence. The picture that's being painted for us there is this idea of a building that's already falling apart. This idea of a, we've seen it as we drive around neighborhoods, perhaps the cities, an abandoned building. That's already like it looks like if anyone just leans the wrong way on the building, it's going to fall. So the idea here is really it's this they're taking cheap shots of David. He's already down and they continue to strike against him. They continue to plot against him. They're wanting to, while he's down, continue to attack him. That's the picture being painted there for us at the end of verse three. They are telling lies here. We see that in verse 4. They're, they're falsehoods. They take pleasure in falsehoods. They, they are telling lies about David as they attempt to dethrone him. These, these men, they are hypocrites, right? They, he says there in the end of verse 4, they bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. We all know those people who to our face tell us one thing, but then we find out that they're speaking ill about us behind our backs or they're plotting against us behind our backs. That is the picture being painted there. These are people who are trying hard to bring the downfall of David. The point here is if David, who is the king of God's people, a man who the Bible describes as someone after God's own heart, if he was not immune to these type of attacks, if he was not immune to this type of trials and calamity in his life, then what makes you think you will be immune to them? What makes you think that you don't deserve or, or that you should never have to go through anything in life? People are out We can't trust people. They're out to get us. If David is going through this, then you best rest assured that at some point 
it will come knocking on your door. Calamity will come. Adversity will come. And so the question is, how are you going to respond when it does come to your doorsteps? And we see here the rest of this passage that David, in the midst of this dark and calamitous time, he perseveres by declaring that he will trust and that he will hope is in God and in God alone. And that is where David finds this sense of peace. That is where David finds this sense of security during hard times. It is in God and God alone. And so we must do the same as, as we look to persevere this year. As trials will come and meet us at our doorsteps, we have to persevere, which gets me to my first point. Security and peace in trying times can only be found when we reflect on God and trust God alone. Security and peace in trying times can only be found when we reflect on God and trust God alone. That is what David starts off this psalm by doing. He says, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. Here he is reflecting on God. He is reminding himself of who God is, that he is his salvation, he is his rock, his fortress. This is a great reflection. He's reminding himself of who God is, and, and he's reminding himself of the things that he knows to be true, and he starts to declare them. This isn't just a quick reflection. This isn't just a quick reminder. David just isn't telling himself some truth that he knows to be true. He isn't just saying God is good all the time, all the time God is good. He isn't just quickly reciting some Christianese phrase or some quick Bible verse. Not that that's not good, but that's just that's not what's going on here in the verse today. The reflection that we see David to, it goes beyond just saying a quick prayer. It goes beyond just trying to think of some quick truths. He's really calming himself down and he's responding by by resting in God. He starts off with, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. Or the Holmes Christian Standard Bible version says, I am at rest in God alone. And there are two things I want us to see through just this word silence and what it suggests. First, it suggests that there is this stillness within David, that he's sitting there. And as Gerard Wilson will put it, there is a motionless waiting that David is doing in the silence, that he is sitting here reflecting on these truths of God. And he's not moving. He's not complaining. He's just sitting there motionlessly waiting. That is difficult to do. Remember, this is being written in the midst of trials, in the midst of tribulations. While people are actively trying to kill David, he decides he's just going to sit here in complete silence and wait on God. If we were to try to do that this morning today, that would be very difficult for us. We would have to really get into the right mindset. We would probably have to close our eyes, get comfortable, and just sit in silence. And 30 seconds in, we will be extremely uncomfortable. But David here, this motionless waiting, this is an all-encompassing stillness that David is experiencing, that David is going through, right? It's his whole being. It's his mind is waiting in silence. His body is waiting in silence. His spirit is waiting in silence. He is truly resting in the midst 
of trials. Like I said, don't lose sight that men are after out to kill him. And he's just going to sit here and wait on the Lord. I know if I had people out to get me, if I had people out trying to kill me, I'm not going to just sit somewhere quietly and be like, God, I'll let you handle this. But that's the type of confidence, that's the type of trust that David has in God, that he's willing in the midst of people out to kill him, just sit and rest and wait on God because he understands from him comes my salvation. And that's an important fact that really we don't have time to get into, but that is a deep theological truth right there, that salvation comes from God and God alone. The second thing I want us to see within the silence is this really does indicate a true submissive spirit and attitude towards God. He is, David has this true understanding of, of who God is, and he has this true understanding of what the sovereignty of God is, and so he can just sit here and submit himself to the will of God and not worry about anything. John Calvin writes about the silence. It implies a meek and submissive endurance of the cross. It expresses the opposite of what the heat of spirit, which put us into a, spot, a posture of resistance to God, The silence intended is, in short, that composed submission of the believer and the exercise of which he acquiesces to the promises of God gives place to the word, bows to his sovereignty, and suppresses every inward murmur of dissatisfaction. That is the posture of David here. He's waiting in silence. He is submitting himself. And this is the type of silence. This is the type of waiting that we as believers, as Christians, need to be mimicking in the midst of trials. (coughs) The silence that David has, he has submitted himself to God's will. What will lead a man? To just stop running when people are after him, when people are actively trying to kill him, and just sit in silence and just submit himself to God's will. How does he get to do that? First, he has to know God's word. David understands and he knows what God's promises are. He understands God's word. He has a very high view of the Bible, of God's word. And so he submit, he bows before the God of the universe and he bows before his sovereign power. And in doing so, in submitting himself, he perseveres. And we understand that perseverance produces character and character produces hope and hope produces, leads us to glory. And so David just understanding God's word submits himself to God's will and says, God, whatever you do, I'm okay with. He's trusting. He has full faith. He has full hope that the God of this universe will deliver him. And we see this, right? As I mentioned earlier, David does not complain at all. He does not grumble. That is the way that we need to have patience. That is the way that we need to wait on God. We need to not grumble. We need to not wait. We need to not make any petitions. We just need to trust in God. This is the opposite of what Israel did in the desert. As they walked around, they grumbled and complained. We need to trust in God by submitting to God. 
And and when we do, when we truly submit to God's will and say, God, whatever your will does, I will be happy with. That is when we can have a sense of peace and security, knowing that God has my back. And whatever God does, I know it is for my good. And when we have that sense of peace and security, when we are able to submit to God's will, we're able to persevere in the midst of trials. He says, the Lord is my salvation, and in this context, meaning deliverance, right? The Lord will deliver me both physically and spiritually. The, the Lord will bring me out of the hands of my enemies, right? He's making this declaration of salvation. He also reflects real quick on three characteristics of God we see here in verse 2. He says that God is my rock, Right. My protection, this idea, um, the picture here is of a huge rock. If you're out in the wilderness, maybe you go hiking and maybe something's coming your way and you need to hide from it. And so you take protection behind the rock. Maybe there's a snake out and you climb the rock to get away from the snake. That's the kind of here that he's saying that God is my protection. He goes on and says, God is my salvation, as I said earlier. That is that God delivers him. That he's saying, literally, God brings me, he delivers me from the clutches of my enemies. He will rescue me. That is what David is saying. God is a rescuer. And then lastly, he says that God is his fortress. That God is his defense. That God not only protects him, delivers him, but God will Fight on, on his behalf. This idea of a fortress doesn't just protect us, but there's people strategically placed throughout the fortress that are on the offense protecting the fortress. And that's the idea that David has here saying that he is my fortress, that he, he defends on my half. And then he says, I will not be greatly shaken. And we'll come back to that later. Remember, all of this, David is reminiscing he's declaring these things he's reflecting on all of these truths while being attacked while people are out to kill him and we see that in verses three and four and then he moves after three and four and the rest of the passage really he starts to do two things he urges himself he exhorts himself and then he exhorts us He gives us ways to do these things. And so that leads me to point number two, that security and peace in trying time requires patience and a growing faith. Security and peace in trying times requires patience and growing faith. David starts here in verse five by addressing himself where he says, for God alone, oh, my soul. Wait in silence. He starts by preaching to himself. The NSB translates as my soul. Wait in silence. He's looking in the mirror and he's telling himself, self, you better listen up. You are going to wait. You are going to have patience and wait on the Lord to move. We don't know what's happening. Perhaps David felt some doubt to start to creep in. Perhaps he's feeling the pressure and he has to remind himself, no, I am going to wait in the Lord. I'm going to wait on the Lord. And so as this doubt creeps in, perhaps he's trying to encourage his soul. And as he tries to encourage his soul, as John Gill writes, he says to himself to be still and quiet and patiently wait on the Lord and on him only. 
we have to have patience. We understand that God is not on our time. We want God to be on our time. We want God to do the things that we want him to do when we want him to do it. But God does not work on our time. God is his own meaning. God is sovereign and powerful and he's omniscient and he knows better than us. And so God is not on our time. David's saying, I know this and we need to just wait. He's saying, wait, have patience. And that's difficult for us. For us, if we have to wait even a little, we start to lose our minds. We start to want to take things into our own hands. If we are a little bit inconvenienced, we start to get a little bit frustrated. We start to get angry. I read this story this week of people being stranded in a parking lot of a mall. And because traffic isn't moving, they decide they're going to call 911. There's no emergency. They just are waiting too long in their car. And that's how we get, the moment we're a little bit inconvenienced, we start to not think rationally. And David's saying, no, we have to know who God is, know what his scripture says about him, and we have to patiently wait on the Lord to do his bidding, to do his will. David says, we don't get angry, we wait, we have patience on God. Remember, the silence here is also is without grumbling. We wait not by pitching a fit, not by crying while we're waiting. We wait in silence. This type of idea to just wait and have patience in the midst of trials, to, for David to have patience while people are coming after his life, this takes trusting in God 100%. Not 80%, not 50%, but trusting in God. It's understanding that God's ways are above our ways. As it says in Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your, your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. In other words, we are not God. We don't need to understand how God is going to work. We just have to have patience and trust in God and in God alone. Not trusting God a little bit and then trusting ourselves. Not trusting God here, but then I'm going to trust in my spouse over here. It's trust in God and God alone. And so he says to have patience. The second thing we see here is David, his faith has seems to grown from just the very first two verses. Right. As I said earlier, at the end of verse two, David says, I was shall not be greatly shaken. Right. I'm going to be shaken a little bit, but I'm not going to be greatly shaken. I might stumble, but I'm not going to fall. I might take a couple steps back and that's it. Right? And that's the idea being painted in verse 2. And that changes completely. In verse 4, he says, I shall not be shaken. I will not budge one inch anymore. I will have patience on God and I will stand firm on his promises and his promises alone. David's faith has seemed to grow a bit here. And how has that happened? How has his faith and trust grown from just the first two verses? What is evident from the life of David is David continually seeks 
after God. What causes David to grow? It is the knowledge that he has and the understanding that he has of who God is. And he understands the truth of the scriptures and he understands the character of God. And as he gets to know God more, grow in his knowledge, his faith and his trust in God then grows as well. And so we have to be growing. That means that we have to be diving into the scriptures. And the more that we grow in the knowledge of God, the more that our faith and trust in God grows. They go hand in hand. And then only then when we have this growing faith, when we're growing in the knowledge of God, can God start to be our refuge? It's only when we are growing in faith Knowledge can God truly be our security in trying times. I heard a pastor once say, you can't find refuge in a God that you do not know. You can't find refuge in a God that you do not know. You have to grow in the knowledge of God, and that leads to growing faith. That leads to growing trust. And so David, he's constantly growing in the knowledge of God. He's constantly reminding himself of who God is. So he tells himself to have patience and to trust and grow in the Lord. And then David goes from addressing himself to now addressing people. We see this in verse 8. David says, trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. David tells us to do two things. It says, trust in God at all times and pour out your hearts to God or, or pray to God. And I want to start with the second thing of pouring our, our hearts out to God or, or praying to God, right? This idea of pouring out our hearts or our hearts crying out after God seems to be in complete contradiction to this idea of waiting in silence. But remember, waiting in silence means that we are submitting to God. In essence, to pour out your hearts to God is to do the same thing. It's to submit to God. It's to bring everything and lay it at the foot of the cross. He says, pour out your hearts on God. We are to live out First Peter Five, six, and seven, where, where Peter says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that the power, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. We are to lay it all down at the foot of the cross. We are to give God everything. We are to pour out our hearts to him. Spurgeon puts it this way, reveal yourself to him. His heart, God's heart is set on you. Lay bare your hearts to him. Turn the vessel of your soul upside down in his secret presence and let your inmost thoughts, desires, sorrows, and sins be poured out like water. Lay it all at the foot of the cross. We are to be doing this. And at the moment we do this is the moment that we're saying, God, I trust in you and in you alone. And then he can become your refuge. He can become your shelter. You will start to find peace and rest in trying times. 
we are to be pouring out our hearts, praying to the God of this universe. The second thing that David says, he says, trust God at all times. Not when it's convenient, not when things are going your way or trust or when things aren't going your way, says God. Trust in God at all times. Why can we trust God at all times? Because he is not like anything in this world. We understand that there is nothing in this world that can compare up to God. And so we can trust in God first by not trusting in the things of this fallen world. Not trusting in people, not trusting in riches, and that's what he kind of works through the rest here in verse 9. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. But no, put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. And riches, if riches increase, set Not your hearts on them. David is saying, don't put your trust in the things of this world. It doesn't matter if you have a high status or you have a low status. They are, the man is nothing compared to God. He says they are as a breath. One puff and they are gone. The status, the riches, they're a delusion, they're a lie. There's nothing that you can, this world can offer you that can take you away from putting your trust in the Lord. And that's the point here. As David Kagner writes, it's not so much that we have nothing to fear from man as that we have nothing to hope from him. There's nothing that man, there's nothing that this world can offer us that can bring us a true sense of security, a true sense of peace and rest. And that is what David is getting at here in verse 9. There's nothing that man can give you that you can put your hope in. They are nothing compared to God. He says, do not set your hearts on riches, right? Proverbs 11.4 tells us that riches do not profit on the day of wrath. But righteousness delivers from death. Right? That, that, that riches, they do nothing for that. Everyone will at one point, in their, at the end of their life, they will face, come face to face with the God of the universe and be judged. And riches at that point does nothing for you. Don't put your hope in it. Don't put your faith, don't put your trust in it. The last way that David says how we can trust in God. It's by understanding who God is. And he says, once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God. And O oh Lord belongs steadfast love. We understand who God is. That all power belongs to God. That steadfast love belongs to God. In other words, that that God is all-powerful and all-merciful. That's what that steadfast love there means, is that God is full of mercy. And when you see these two things about God, and you understand that all power belongs to God, and that God is merciful, now you can start to trust on God alone. 
you understand that it's according to God's power. And it's according to his mercy that he will judge the whole earth, right? He ends his verse, this passage, by saying, For you will render to a man according to his work. Say, God will judge man according to man's work. And it is through his power and it is through his mercy that he does that. And that gives us hope. That we can trust on God alone because we understand that he is all-powerful and that he is merciful. And so trust in trying times on God and God alone. Lean on him. Search after him. Cry out to him. Pour out your hearts. Wait in silence before God in the midst of trials. And you will find peace and you will find rest in trying times. If you put your faith and trust in God and God alone. And as we close our time this morning, I'd like to spend some time talking to the person here who may not be a believer, who may not have put their faith and trust in God. I want us to just make note of this power that David says that all power belongs to God. This power is the power by which God will carry out his will. That God is sovereign and that he is powerful and the things that he says will happen will happen. In other words, that God will do exactly what he says he will do because God is powerful. And it's through that power that he will judge the whole earth. Right? God says that uh, one, at some time, at the end, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is God. <coughs> Everyone, every man, every woman, every child will come face to face with God and acknowledge him because he is all powerful. Second Corinthians 5.10 says, All, everyone, every man who has ever walked this earth will appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. In other words, no one is without excuse. Primarily today you're out of excuse because I've been telling you about who this God is. The second, we see it in the scriptures. Romans 1 says that no one is without excuse because creation screams that there is a God. Creation tells us that there's something in this world Something created and that, that, that it is God. And so because of that, no one has an out. Everyone will be judged. All of their deeds, the good, the bad, and the good that you think you have or the think you've done. There's always someone out there who's probably done better. And compared to God, your good deeds are nothing but as filthy rags, as it says in Isaiah. So everyone will sit under and stand before God and be judged. And you're either going to two places. You're either going to spend the rest of eternity with the Lord, with the creator of the universe in heaven, or you're going to be condemned to hell and spend the rest of eternity separated from God. There is no in-between. God is so powerful that he will judge everyone. And they're either going to one or two places. And anyone who has not put their faith and trust in the works of Christ 
will be condemned to spend the rest of eternity in hell. Only those who have put their faith and trust in the works of Jesus Christ will get to spend the rest of eternity with God. And why is that? We understand that everyone has sinned. Every single one of us has fallen short of the glory of God. And that we all need a Savior. And that is what God offers us through his Son. By sending his Son to come down, he comes into this world and he is fully man and fully God. And walks this earth and never sins, never gets angry, never disobeys his mother, never sins, never, he follows all of God's promises, all of God's commandments perfectly to the T. The only true person who has ever walked this earth as truly innocent is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And he comes and he does what we can't do. And then willingly goes to the cross and takes on our punishment, your sins, your wrongdoings, your evil deeds are laid upon Jesus Christ at the cross. And in return, his righteousness is given to us. And he dies, and it is through his death, and it is through his resurrection that we now have the forgiveness of sins. And we know that he doesn't just end there, doesn't just end with him dying on the cross. But he's raised again three days later. And it is through him being raised again that we now have eternal life. And that is what you need to put your faith and trust in. Not in yourself, not in your job, not in your school, but in the works of Jesus Christ and those who've done that will have peace with God today. So if you haven't done that, I will be out in the foyer after the service. Pastor Wes will be out. Anyone you've seen up here on this stage would love to talk to you about what it means to put your faith and trust in the works of God. And if you don't want to do that, in the back of the bulletins, you can go on our website. You'll find all our emails there. You can send us an email. We would love to have that conversation with you. And for my brothers and sisters in the Lord, When was the last time you poured out your hearts to God? When was the last time you brought your sins, you brought your needs, you brought your anxieties, you brought brought your stresses and laid them at the foot of the cross? David says, pour out your hearts. When was the last time that you fought for God's peace in trying times? that you searched after him, that you went after the Lord, that you opened up your scriptures and you searched them looking for who God is. You prayed before him. You got around other believers and you sought their advice. When was the last time you poured out your heart before God? This pouring out, it happens. It's, it's a confidence. As Gerard Wilson says, the verb pour out describes the complete pouring out of a liquid with no reserve, with a confidence. There's nothing, you're holding nothing back. It's this idea of, of a child, a two, three-year-old child who decides they're going to pour themselves a glass of milk for the first time, thinking they know what they're doing. Set the glass of, on, set the six-ounce glass on the floor and decides they're going to pour out a gallon of milk into it. They have this confidence. They, they think they know what they're doing. And so there's no reservations. They don't think twice about it. They just pour it out with full confidence. That is how we are to pour out our hearts to God with confidence, with understanding that we know that God will forgive us. As it says in 1 John 9, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
we are to come before God, pouring out our hearts. May, may that be our prayer. May that be our action this new year. That we don't hold anything back from God. That we bring everything, our, 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 our needs, our deepest sins, our deepest desires, our worries, our concerns. We bring it all and lay it at the foot of the cross. Because we know that we have served a God who cares and loves us. We cannot say we trust in God yet keep things from him. Think that we can hide things from him. We cannot say we trust in God, yet not do the very thing that he calls us to do. In order for us to find peace, to find security, rest in trying times, we have to be willing to lay it all out the line and lay it all at the foot of the cross. And then, and only then, will we receive peace and security. We do this because it's beneficial for us. God is glorified to us, but in doing so, it gives us a composure in the midst of trials that that we don't begin to understand that people will see a difference. We lay it all at the foot of the cross. We look and we fight and we fight after God to find peace in trying times because we understand that when we find that peace, it can God will use that God will be glorified, but then also God, people will see us. They will see us going through trials. They will see us going through tribulations with an attitude of, I, I'm trusting in God. I'm not worried. And in that moment, that is a testimony of your faithfulness and God's faithfulness to you. And this calm and peaceful composure, someone will eventually ask you, how do you do it? How do you remain so calm when everything around you is just going up in flames? And that is your opportunity to share what God has done for you. We bring it all to God because we know that nothing compares to God. David says in verse 9, in the balances they go up. This idea of a, of a, of a scale that you're weighing two things at one time. And on one side is your enemies. On one side is your desires, is your sins, is your trials, is your circumstances. And then on the other side is the all-powerful, all-merciful God. And the moment you compare them to, the side of God will go completely down and everything will go up to God. And you have nothing to worry about because nothing compares to the Lord. Nothing that we go through, nothing that we experience, nothing that man can give us, nothing that we can earn here compares to the all-powerful and merciful God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, and we thank you for your mercy and grace, Father. That, that, that the ability to do this, Father, it's only we're only able to because of the grace that you've given us in our lives, Father. That is how David is able to declare these things. That is how David is able to stand before his attackers. And patiently wait and submit himself to your will because of the grace in his life from you, Father. So, Lord, we thank you for that, Lord. We pray for that same grace. We pray for the grace of having growing knowledge in you, Father. We pray that we continue to grow in our understanding of who God is, Father. We understand that, that to know you is to, is to dive into your word, Father. It's not about listening 
So sermons is not about supplementing anything else, Father. It's about diving into your word and your word alone, Father. All of those other things are great, but they're nothing compared to your inspired word, Father. Be with us this day, Lord. Keep us safe. Keep us in your will as we go about this day. Give us opportunities to be a light into this world and to our families, Father. We pray all this in the mighty, powerful name of Jesus Christ. And as people said, amen.